to another episode of Living in a Ultra Life. And this week, I'm really excited to have as my guest Jason Wood. He's a local Hampton Roads ultra runner that is uh, really doing some amazing things. So I'm really excited to have Jason on. So Jason, you ready to go for a run? Yeah, definitely. Let's go. All right. Awesome. Are, are you recovered from the uh, Virginia 24-hour run for cancer? Yeah, it was funny. Uh, I actually made a commitment to a friend Sunday night after the race. So I came home, napped for about four hours, and then went over to uh, the Norva in Norfolk to watch a concert that ended at like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> so so it got a little bit of rest uh, Sunday night and then uh, fully recovered, ready to get back to it. That is awesome. Let's start with who is Jason Wood? Where did you come from? What do you do? What have you done? And we'll go from there. Yeah, so I grew up in the Hampton Roads area, actually. I grew up in Hampton and played football and baseball and a lot of sports throughout my life. And then when I graduated high school, I, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship uh, to play football at a small school in Kentucky called the University of the Cumberlands. Uh, so I accepted that scholarship, went out there and uh, played football for four years and ran a little bit of track, but I wasn't into distances at all. It was mainly like the 100 and 200 type thing. And then football, obviously, you know, if I was running anything more than 100 yards, that was way too much. <laughs> um, right. So uh, did you play in football? So I started out in college as a safety and then moved over to wide receiver between my uh, freshman and sophomore year during spring football and finished out my career playing wide receiver. Okay. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it was a fun time, but I had also signed after graduating high school, a four-year ROTC scholarship. So that made me committed to joining the military once I graduated college. And with the time I signed the contract, it was 1999, 2000 timeframe. So before oh, wow. 9-11. Okay. Yeah. So my guidance counselor, I remember having the conversation with him and saying, you know, this ROTC thing will be great. It'll pay, help pay for college. You won't have to pay a dime for college. And then when you graduate, you'll just do these four nice years in the military, and then you can get out and do whatever you want to do with life. And obviously, 9-11 happened my sophomore year of college, and that changed the scope of what I was going to be doing once I graduated college. So uh, let's see, I graduated on May 8th, 2004. And then May 9th, I was already headed back to the Hampton Roads area. I got my first duty station was at Fort Eustis, Virginia in Newport News. And so my military career can be summed up basically by three years in, in Iraq. So I did, uh, yeah, I, I graduated in May of 04. In October, November of 04, I was already on a plane to Iraq for my first deployment. Did uh, 04 to 05, came back for eight months, did another year, 06 to 07, came back for a year. Did another year in Iraq from uh, 08 to 09. And then uh, after that, I came back home, uh, switched jobs up a little bit uh, in the military, became an aide to a two-star general, and then finished off my career with him and then decided to move on to a different aspect in life and became a defense contractor. And that's what I'm doing now. I, I work for a local uh, contract company that supports the military, the Navy specifically, doing kind of uh, information technology management. Okay. So three tours in Iraq, and yep. I'm sure not the pleasant green zone tours of Iraq, right? No, no. So uh, my first deployment was to northern Iraq in the Mosul area in 0405. And during that time frame, uh, the Mosul was the top tip of what they called the Triangle of Death. During that time frame, I think the first month I was there, I was on Camp Diamondback, and uh, there was a, another camp across the street from us called Merez. 
and we were actually headed to lunch one day, right? I think it was right around Christmas timeframe in December, uh, a couple months after I got in there and a suicide bomber had blown himself up in the dining facility. And that point, it was the deadliest day in Iraq. So um, saw a lot of different things on that specific day that obviously left a mark and, uh, and then got mortared on several occasions and then uh, came home and then went off to another deployment. And that deployment, we did convoy escorts. So we basically would, uh, we were stationed out of Kuwait. We would meet the logistics convoys at the border of Kuwait and Iraq. And then we would escort them with gun trucks basically to wherever they needed to go in the country. So uh, I've seen, I've seen all of Iraq at that point. And uh, that, I think I went on 27 convoy missions uh, that lasted anywhere from a couple days to 20 days, I think was the longest wow. one I went on. And I think out of those 27 missions, my convoys came under, you know, either small arms fire or IEDs, improvised explosive device attacks on six of those occasions. So my truck actually got hit uh, on one of those occasions. And that's how I ended up with my combat action badge and uh, things like that on that deployment. Uh, so, and then came back home. Then took command of a company, which was kind of my dream job in the military. So I got a chance to oversee 200 plus soldiers and deploy them out to Iraq. And uh, fortunately, that deployment was a lot, I guess, less less action for okay. all of us. Okay. And uh, we still did the, we still did convoys. We delivered a lot of uh, equipment and, and things across the country. We were stationed out of the Baghdad area during that time. And so I got a chance to oversee a lot of it and it was, it was a good deployment. We came back, everybody came home and uh, that was the main goal and we did a good job. But the funny story I have from that one specifically is if you watch the movie uh, American Sniper or have read the book uh, with Chris Kyle, there's a part where he's uh, overseeing kind of a, a logistics company do the barrier mission where you're, they're dropping barriers around yeah. Cyber City. Yep. Yeah. So that was my company that was responsible for laying the barriers, doing the barrier mission around Sodder City. So oh, who, wow. now I'm going to have yeah. to go back and watch the movie again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so when I read the book, it was, it was all matching up with me, timelines and everything. And I was like, wait a minute, that's my company. But uh, wow. Wow. Um, but yeah. So, so I had Chris, Chris Kyle overseeing us. So that was, you know, yeah. good things, but, but yeah, you don't know, you don't know who's out there watching your back, but uh but yeah, so that's kind of the synopsis of the kind of the, the action and everything we saw out there in Iraq. Okay, so kudos to you for uh, bringing all 200 of your troops home safely. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I had a lot of great soldiers, a lot of great leadership. Obviously, you can't do, you can't accomplish those kind of things without the support of the others and the leaders that are that are under you. So, I mean, they did an amazing job and, and continue, a lot of them do to this day to do an amazing job in the military. And Unfortunately, uh, we've we've had since 2011 when I got out, there hasn't been a calendar year except for I think this past year where I didn't lose one of my former soldiers to suicide. So um, that was that's kind of become a, a big um, cause that I'm I'm really passionate about is, uh, you know, how do we help uh, solve the veteran suicide pandemic that's out there right now? I mean, you hear about the numbers out there, 22 a day and. Uh, things like that. So uh, I'm really passionate about using my voice and using kind of my body with ultra runs and things like that to try to raise awareness. Awesome. Yeah, I noticed that. I just started following you on Instagram. Mention your Instagram handle and then I'll go on. Yeah, so uh, my Instagram handle is at jfloydwood. So J-F-L-O-Y-D-W-O-O-D. So uh, yeah, give me a follow. Follow the story. Yeah, I definitely encourage people who are listening to this to follow your Instagram because 
I read some of your posts and very, very inspiring um, as to what you're doing, your reasons for running. And I, I love your focus. Your focus is phenomenal. So yeah, good stuff there. Yep. So let's kind of talk a little bit about the running, how you got into running. You know, obviously you have to run a little bit in the military, but how did you get into running and what drives you with your, your running? Yeah. So funny story. So uh, I mentioned joining the military right after college. And I just remember the first time I got out on the track because the military physical fitness test, at least the army side, they have you do a two mile run. And I remember just thinking, I'm going to smoke a two mile. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow through this. You know, I was a, a track runner. I, I felt like I was in pretty decent shape. And I remember, I think I ran that first two mile run. It had to have been like 20 minutes, 19, 20 <laughs> minutes and just uh, dying kind of at the end. So that was my first experience with running. And then in the military, obviously, we do a lot of it. I enjoyed doing kind of local 10Ks and 5Ks. And and I, I got up to a couple marathons, would do you know one or two marathons a year for a couple of years. And then I think there, there came to a point uh, where I kind of stopped doing it. I kind of fell off kind of physically and mentally after some situations happened in my life. Personally, with my ex-wife, we separated and I gained a lot of weight and I just was in a bad place uh, mentally and physically maybe about five, six years ago. And then I just remember um, it got to a point where I looked at my daughter and then kind of looked at myself in the mirror and said, you know, what kind of example am I having or, you know, what kind of example am I presenting to my daughter? And, you know, and I, I was really not in a good place myself. So I signed up for on a Groupon deal for a local Spartan race in Virginia. It's out in Bryce Resort. I think it was out there somewhere. And uh, then I kind of committed myself at that point. I think I signed up for it in May. The race was in June. So I decided to sign up at the local One Life Fitness Gym and jumped on a treadmill for the first time in a long time and uh, ran like a 12-minute mile. <laughs> and wow. uh, and, and it, was, it was rough. And so I did the race. I did the Spartan race. And at that point, it was one of the hardest things I had ever done in my life. I, I, I just was not physically there and even mentally. I just, I struggled a lot with kind of overcoming the obstacles that, that were presented. And I just remember at one point they have what's called a bucket carry where you're carrying like a 30 pound bucket that's full of rocks and you got to carry it around a little loop. It's probably about, you know, a quarter mile or less. And I remember just dropping my bucket down and sitting on it for a minute, just disappointed in myself. Right. And, and, uh, and then eventually I got through the race and I finished the race and I jumped, they have a fire jump at the end of Spartan races. And I jumped over the fire and I remember collapsing on the ground. And at the time it, I'd hurt, but I just, and it, it was only what a six to eight mile run, but uh, it was, it was addicting at that point. I wanted to do it again and I wanted to see how, how much better I could get. And so I started signing up for a lot of Spartan races and I did them. Uh, I think the first one I did was in June of 2017 and then by December of 2017, I had done uh, one in Central Florida. Uh, it was a beast, so a, a half marathon type race, obstacle race. And I had went from finishing, you know, 1,000th or whatever it was in the open division at my first Spartan race to finishing top 20 in the elite division of Spartan for that last race in December of 2017. Wow. I had lost in less than a year. Yeah, less than a year. I'd lost about 25, 30 pounds and I, I just really committed myself to it. And um, and I, I think just the setting the goals throughout the year of different races 
uh, really helped me. I took it in chunks. I didn't try to, you know, I, I did, I looked at it much like ultra running. Uh, you kind of have to take it in smaller steps and not look at it at as a hundred miles. You have to kind of say, all right, let's get through the first 10 miles or the first five miles or however you're going to approach it. So I got, I guess, decent at doing those kind of obstacle type races and qualified for a couple of the North American championships and Spartan world championships and things like that. And then COVID happened and all that came to a grinding halt. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so, so like your identity is in these Spartan races and you're, you're kind of recreating yourself in a way, right? And yeah, then all of a sudden COVID happens and they all grind to a halt. So what yeah. that do you mentally? So COVID happened in March of uh, what, 20, I'm trying to remember the year now, 2021, 2020. Yeah. yeah, 2020. So what ended up happening then was uh, I just remember the gyms all closed down. So you couldn't go to the gym and I'm a big gym goer. I still like to lift heavy weights and, you know, I, I do kind of CrossFit slash bodybuilding, like curls for the girls type stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I still like to do that in the gym and, uh, and I just remember, you know, I have the Nolan Trail here about a mile and a half, two miles down from my house. So I would just get out and run down to the Nolan Trail every day and do, you know, five miles. Then it grew to 10 miles a day. Then it started growing and growing and growing. I started putting in a lot of miles per week. And I remember Memorial Day weekend of 2020 uh, when COVID was still going on. I remember doing, uh, let's see, Friday of that weekend. I said, Hey, let's go out and just run a mile and see how fast I can do a mile now. And I did a 458 mile. Gosh. And then from a 12 minute mile in 2017. Yes. Three years. You went from a 12 minute mile to a 458. Yep. Yep. So I PR'd, I PR'd my, my one mile time. It was Saturday of that weekend. I remember how it goes. So Saturday that weekend, it was, it was a one mile run. And then the next day on Sunday, I kind of just said, well, let's see how far I can run now. So I ended up running, uh, not necessarily a 50 K it was 30 miles. Okay. And I, and I did it in about four hours and 15 or so minutes. Wow. And, and yeah. So when I sent those times to a couple of my friends, especially in like that were kind of familiar with the ultra world, I just remember them saying, Hey, that's a really decent time. Like you should keep you know, working at this, maybe find a coach, maybe like start lo- lo- looking at things up instead of just going out and trying to run 12 miles a day. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I remember doing that. And then the next day on Monday, I did the Memorial Day Murph uh, workout. And so uh, that was a big weekend for me. And it, and, and it kind of gave me a new goal okay. for what I wanted to do with my life. And that was just kind of like, let's push it. Let's go to extremes. Let's try to do ultra running. Let's try to see how far we can push ourselves. Okay. So who have been your influences in the ultra running world? Yeah, so I think uh, I think yeah, I was talking to somebody on actually during the uh, the hunter uh, the the twenty four hour this past weekend. I think Goggins, David Goggins, is a gateway to a lot of people into all the ultra world. A lot of people that aren't familiar with it. Yeah. So I wasn't really familiar with it. I just knew this guy David Goggins, who was ex Navy SEAL, did these crazy runs, and I I was fairly familiar with like fifty Ks because you know you do enough marathons, you can you know associate yourselves with that. But I promised myself I would never ever do anything over like kind of a marathon distance until that weekend that I did that 30 miler on, on Memorial Day weekend. And so Goggins was kind of the first person I followed 
that did those kind of races. And then Cameron Haynes, who's another ultra marathoner, he's good friends with David Goggins, is another guy I kind of follow. Uh, Courtney DeWalter is kind of the next person you obviously kind of like, you know, gravitate to because she's kind of a great runner. Um, and then uh, it's funny because I actually have started to kind of befriend a gentleman by the name of Jesse Itzler. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. So Jesse uh, caught word of one of my recent runs, the one, the Dogwood Ultra that I did the 36 hour with the 20 pound tactical vest on. And uh, he donated, he sent me out a lot of his all day running company gear. Wow. Uh, he, you know, we keep in touch via direct messages on Instagram. So as we kind of continued through the process here over the years of being involved in ultra running, I've kind of gotten familiar with a lot of folks that are really good folks that are in the world, in this community and that are supportive. And it's just been a wonderful experience for me. That's awesome. So who are some of the local people that you, that have kind of influenced and inspired you to yeah. get into the ultra world? Yeah. So the first one is, I, I don't know if you've ever interviewed him, but Jason Hollenbach. Yep. I haven't yeah. interviewed him yet, but I love yeah. Jason. He's amazing. Yeah. Jason is awesome. Uh, I've gotten a chance to run with him a couple times. I, I actually was introduced to him through uh, cycle bar and, and uh, out in the cycle bar red mill out in Virginia beach. Uh, we met through the, his wife, Bailey, I guess went to yep. classes before and she worked there. And then uh, I get, that's how I got a chance to meet him. And he's been very supportive. You know, he was trying to push me to do 120 miles this past weekend. <laughs> right, right. But I can but see he, that. <laughs> yeah, he's been awesome. And then an uh, individual you have interviewed that I got a chance to run Dogwood in a couple laps out there with is uh, Chris Guerra. Yeah. Who's actually, uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's a great guy. The, the Forge Glory folks are awesome. I mean, there's some crazy good folks in this area. Jill, uh, ultra crazy Jill. Yep. Uh, from Mountain, yep. Yep. Uh, from Mountain Virginia Beach. She's great. Her, her, uh, her husband, uh, all of them. I, I mean, this community in this area is just amazing to be around. So a lot of good folks in this area and I, I love running with them. That's awesome. Let's kind of jump. You know what? First, let's go to your daughter because your daughter seems to be a beautiful influence on you as you have discovered this whole dad thing. Yeah. So yeah. So, tell us a little bit about your daughter. Yeah. So she's seven at this point. And I think uh, if, if you would have talked to me before she was born or even kind of shortly after she was born, I, I was, I was, I, I was probably not in the right place mentally to be a dad. Like I, I didn't know how to be a dad. I, I feel like there was just so, um, so much uncertainty uh, with kind of how I was going to approach this uh, fatherhood thing. And, um, and then after she was born, I think that's when I had my, like I discussed earlier, kind of my great awakening that come to Jesus moment where I said, I got it. I got to do something with my life to be a, a better example and a better influence on her. And, um, and so I just started to kind of notice this change in myself and she's taught me more than I could ever uh, teach her. I feel like, I think when it comes to patience and understanding and empathy and, uh, kind of just expressing feelings and being loving and all those kind of different things. Uh, she has taught me how to do that. And she has been the, the major influence in me uh, being able to kind of uh, show those feelings and, and be that kind of man at this point in my life. So, so she's been that great influence. And then she's so supportive of me and everything I do. She's, she's always wondering how I did for the races when I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro uh, back in September of last year, she, she was 
constantly wondering how I was doing. And when I got back off the mountain, one of the first things she wanted to do was go climb a mountain. And so, so yeah, we, yeah, we, yep. We just went out to old rag and, uh, climbed old rag together. And I was a little bit concerned because, you know, she's seven and I was like, this is, this is not an easy climb per se, but, uh, but she made it up. We made it up and down in uh, the 10 miles and in about six and a half hours. And she did a great job. She's addicted to it now. She's kind of fallen in my footsteps where she loves to be active and and outside and so i i we get the chance to camp out together on the beach and to go hike and do these things together and she's only seven so i i'm lo- really looking forward to her as she grows older and becomes a kind of a partner in crime for some of these races and, and events that i'm doing that's awesome that's awesome and what's her name camilla yeah sorry i should have mentioned that <laughs> awesome that is great so let's kind of jump into because I first noticed you last year when I heard you were going to Mount Kilimanjaro. I didn't follow the whole trip, but tell us a little bit about how did Mount Kilimanjaro come along and how did it go? Yeah, so I actually joined a group that was going up called the World's Highest Obstacle Course Race. So basically what it was, was we were going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro go down to the crater, do an obstacle course, kind of a 10 obstacle, small little course, kind of in a Spartan race type of feel, and then uh, complete that and then race down the mountain. Uh, got hooked into that group and then flew out to Tanzania and, and joined, uh, I think it was 40 of us that, that initially started the climb. It, it was a group of some amazing individuals. Uh, so there's a ultra runner slash uh, just amazing overall endurance athlete. Her name's uh, Christina Madsen. So she's uh, she's an athlete who actually owns, I think, the FKT for the fastest time up Kilimanjaro. Oh, wow. And then she also owns the world record for the seven marathons, seven continents in seven days. Wow. Uh, so she completed that a couple years ago in a world record time. And so climbing with individuals like her and then, you know, so many other people that, you know, I, I feel I feel bad naming names because I feel like it would just, you know, leave people out. But there's a couple of individuals that are right now uh, on a base. Well, there's one individual at base camp and one individual headed to base camp of Everest to climb Everest right now. Oh, who really? climbed with oh, him. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, and uh, one individual is actually going to make the climb with uh, uh, NIMS uh, from the 14 Peaks uh, documentary. So he's he's going to climb with a group with him that's being led by him. Wow! Uh, so so that's going to be awesome to hear that how that all goes. But so so yeah. So I mean, I, like I said, just amazing group of folks. So very supportive group uh, going up the mountain. So summit night was uh, definitely a rough night for me. A rough you know night morning. I started to feel the effects when we got to I'd say probably about sixteen seventeen thousand feet. And so I just kind of pushed myself to get to the summit. I got to the summit. I can't remember exactly what time. It probably was around six or seven in the morning, but really had to push. I was on the struggle bus to get to the summit, but uh, made it and then came down. And when I came down, couldn't complete the obstacle course because when they tested my blood oxygen level, uh, blood oxygen saturation, I, you know, no, a normal healthy person is what, 96, 90, between 96 and 100. Uh, here at sea level, uh, my blood oxygen uh, when I was in the crater of Kilimanjaro, I think was at fifty-two. Wow! Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they got me some oxygen, and I started to make the trek down the low camp there, and uh, stayed there for a couple hours, and then we started to make the 
the trek down the mountain. So the rundown for the athletes that did complete the obstacle course was in two stages. And so they complete the obstacle course and then they'd have the first stage run on the same day. And then the next morning we'd wake up and then the athletes would do the second stage run. You know, I was still kind of feeling the after effects of it all, but I, you know, I, there was something in me that said, you got to give this a shot. So I asked the directors if I could just join in, you know, my results wouldn't count obviously, but I just wanted to run down the mountain with everybody and uh, just see. And so ran down and ended up, if you go to Strava, I think I have the seventh from, from where we were at at that camp. I can't remember the camp's name now, Summit, but where we were at all the way down to the, to, to the uh, base, I have the seventh fastest time on Strava, at least in history for that rundown. So, uh, so I, I just remember, uh, as I, as you kind of continue to progress down the mountain, you can, you, you can feel the oxygen filling up your lungs and you just start to feel stronger. And I started feeling good and, I just went for it and sent it and I uh, got down the mountain pretty quick. And I just remember feeling, you know, much better about myself after being able to do that, after not being able to do the obstacle course and, right. and do the world record attempt there. Afterwards, we held a big party for everybody and they gave out uh, awards and, you know, medals and everything for everybody. And one of the neat things and one of the my most prized possessions at this point was uh, they gave out three kind of local cowbells from local farmers and they gave them out specifically for courage. And I was very fortunate to receive one of those courage awards. And I guess it was just for my pushing to the the summit of Kilimanjaro, even though I looked like death at the time, I guess, and then joining in on the run there at the end. So it was very neat to receive that award and, and then walk away at the very least with the, with that summit in my hip pocket. (laughs) Yeah. So then you got back from Kilimanjaro the end of September, right? Yep. End of September. And then you turned around and was it the end of October you ran, you ran cloud splitter? No. So I didn't do cloud splitter. So what I ended up doing was I ended up, I came back from Kilimanjaro. Rim to river, right? Yeah, I did rim to river a couple of months after that, but between that time, within a 45 day period after getting back. So I, I summoned Kilimanjaro. I did 26 miles with Jason Hallenbach out at the uh, uh, Joe's golf course run that, okay, uh, yep. that, they, yep. yep. So Karen's I did, run. yep. Karen's run. So I did 26 miles there, uh, kind of a couple weeks. I think it was a week or two after I got back from Kilimanjaro called it at that point and then did the Nolan trail 50 K a couple weeks after that. And you crushed that one. Yeah. I finished. Time. Yeah. I finished fourth. I, I was only a few seconds off third from that one, but, uh, so I finished fourth there, and then uh, and then I decided to go out to Rim to River. I got a last minute email saying, "Hey, we had some people drop. You want to join?" And I said, "Sure." So went out to West Virginia and uh, got to mile eighty and could not keep anything down. Started getting the shakes. It was you know twenty degrees out there in West Virginia yeah. in, in November, and uh, I got to the mile eighty eight station, or I think it was like seventy eight eighty eight station. And, uh, and had to call it at that point. And that was my first ever DNF at a race. So it hit home. But again, guys like, you know, Jason Hallenbach reached out and said, Hey, it's not a matter of if you DNF, it's going to be when you DNF in this world. And so kind of refocused me a little bit, got me back out in the trails and running and everything. But yeah, I got to mile 80 there and had to call it, but it was, it was a fun race, great aid stations. I can't wait to go back to get my vengeance. (laughs) There you go. That's awesome. Yeah, well, just remember, DNF does not stand for did not finish. It's did nothing fatal. 
Yeah, exactly. Good point. And, uh, I, got, I got to know, remember that one. As somebody who uh, who has uh, worn that that label a couple times and let the let it psych him out, don't don't let it psych you out. It's 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 part of the ultra running world. Yeah, yeah. I've come if to you know. You don't that have thing. one yet. You probably haven't raced hard enough yet. Yeah, exactly. So then I I came back just kind of refocused on this year and and just kind of trying to do more with my running, not only just to grow myself, but I think I'm at that point in my life, time to turn around and lend a hand out and try to help others and try to bring others up and raise people up. And that's kind of where I'm at with my running now is let's use it as a tool to help others. Yep, that's awesome. Living an Ultra Life is brought to you by Forge Glory Athletics. Forge Glory Athletics is a science-driven, client-proven, premier running company that instills strong, introspective pillars through disciplines of movement that award personal growth in multiple aspects of the athlete's life without injury. We must find the light within ourselves before others can follow. Christopher Guerra. So you started 2022 with kind of a, a different focus? Would you say a different focus, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think that was, you know, I, I've never really was a big believer in kind of resolution, like New Year's resolutions. I kind of just, it was always kind of what's the next goal. Uh, so it was continue, it was continuous resolutions for me. But I think I just, I, there's a lot, I guess there's a lot behind it backstory, but I lost my grandfather to brain cancer back a couple of years, probably six years ago now, if I remember right. So right around yeah. that time, right around that time I was having a rough time of it. And, um, and I just remember him being very passionate about helping others and bringing others up and, and just being an example, a strong example. And, and, um, you know, he was a strong influence on my life. And when we lost him, I was kind of lost for a little while. And I think I started this year off with, with that in mind, just, uh, having that feeling of, you know, it's time to, Time to really shape myself up to move forward and help others. And and I just feel like I could only do that, in my opinion, uh, when I got myself right and I fell in love with myself and what I was doing and uh, I felt comfortable with where I was at in my life. And then I, this beginning of this year, I think it all just clicked for me. And I said, you know what, let's make this the year where we do some really crazy things for some really good causes. That's awesome. So you started out with your first kind of crazy thing for a good cause in February, correct? Yep. So I did Rocky Raccoon, the 100 out there in February. And that was kind of the, to get the setup going. I, I wanted to get that first hundred in, in February and get that Western States qualifier in. So it was a little bit selfish there, but then the, the next goal was the Dogwood Ultra Marathon, the 36 hour. And uh, that's when I decided to raise money for uh, a group uh, called Canines for Warriors. And it's a nonprofit organization that uh, saves dogs from kill shelters and then trains them up and then provides them to veterans in need. And so the commitment was that we tried to raise $2,500. We ended up raising $3,500, I think. So beat the goal. And then ultimately on my end, it was to live up to my end of the deal. It was to run a hundred miles with the 20 pound tactical vest on within the 36 hour time period and mission accomplished. Yep. And that, that is not an easy 36 hour race. Cause didn't you get like 13, 14,000 feet of vert on that one? Yeah, it was like, Oh yeah, it was like 13,000. It was much. I, I think the fun thing that I heard from everybody throughout the day was 
this course is so much more than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was a tougher course than I gave it credit for. And so we got 13.5, I think is what my watch ended up saying. Okay, that's awesome. So you finished that and then you were already signed up for Virginia 24, right? Yes. Yeah, I was already signed up for that. So decided to go into the Virginia run for cancer and and try to lay down some miles while trying to run five 100 mile attempts in five months. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so I've completed three of the five so far. I'm doing Karen's just a training run backyard ultra next month. Yep. And I'm, I'm going to try to get the hundred there. And then uh, in June, I will be headed out to Scotland to do the West Highland way 100 out there from Glasgow. And I can't remember where it finishes, but it's a hundred miles, hundred miles from there. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. So I just have to point out, you know, a, a, a mindset change here. You know what Yoda said, right? What's that? I got a, I got a million of his quotes. I feel like. <laughs> okay. He said, try not do or do not. And I won't even attempt a Yoda voice. That's some of the things that I'm looking forward to. And again, I'll be likely attaching some fundraisers to those kind of things, but I'm, I'm really, really, I think the thing I'm most excited for in 2022 is in September, I'm working now with local gyms and local uh, community leaders, as well as businesses to coordinate a 48 hour treadmill run. And uh, we're going to be doing it uh, all to raise support and awareness for uh, mental health, specifically uh, mental health with men uh, that have you know PTSD, depression, anxiety, all the different things that are key drivers to men that ultimately take their lives and commit suicide. And a lot of the reasons uh, you see a lot of the veterans yeah. uh, commit suicide as well. And so, um, so I, I, you know, it's a passionate thing for me and I'll just be open with you because uh, I, you know, I mentioned the struggle that I had, you know, six, six years ago and written about this on my Instagram is in November of 2016, I, you know, I had just split from my, my ex at the time I was in a really bad place and I remember being in a hotel room and just uh, on the verge of, of, of being one of those statistics. And uh, fortunately for me, I just remember not doing anything uh, that night and showing up to my parents' doorstep the next morning and, and, you know, a sobbing mess in tears and not knowing kind of what to do with my life at that point, just being a wreck. And my mom kind of directed me to find some help. And we picked up the phone, called the VA and got... Uh, got some help with a, a local therapist and uh, started talking through my issues. And I think that was one of the key things for me is starting to like be open about what I struggle with and, and being uh, more, you know, just communicating more with loved ones about my struggle and, and, and things that I've been through and, and, and how they can understand me better. And then as they become more supportive and more understanding, it helps you to grow and to, to move forward with your life. And I, 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 I'm really hoping that I can help others uh, move forward the same way I did. And that's, that's the primary goal of doing some of these things is, Hey, you know, I was once in a very bad spot myself and if I can make it this far, anybody can trust me. Um, and so that's, that, that's the message. That is a great, thank you so much for sharing that Jason. Cause I know that's not easy, you know, to, to share that you were on the verge of being one of those statistics and you you've come a long way, man. You've, you've come a long, long way. And it's because you you're open with your struggle. You're not trying to hide it. Yeah. 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 I, I think uh, more, the more communication, the better. And we gotta, 
we got to find a way to erase the stigma, specifically amongst men, about talking about feelings and being uh, open and honest about what we're going through in our lives instead of just trying to all work it out internally and, and, and in a corner somewhere. Uh, it's okay to reach out for help and, uh, and, and, and it's okay to, to go find a therapist and, and, and do those things. So uh, I think um, we got to just erase that stigma. Hey, Amen. I, I like that. We may just call this this show, this episode, Erase That Stigma, just to drive that point home because it's so important today. And we all go through it. You know, I'm 58 years old almost. And, you know, I still have struggles, you know, yeah. from, from things that if I am honest with people, you know, results in, you know, things that, you know, just you shouldn't you shouldn't have to go through alone. And I'm very blessed that I get to go through it with my best friend in the world and the, the partner for 36 years. And there's a lot of men that, that don't have that. And so I really appreciate you laying yourself out there and, and being willing to be transparent. That's huge, Jason. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I think that's what the, you know, what draws me to the ultra running community so much is every one of these races, no matter who you are, you're gonna, you're going to experience struggle at some point during that race. And, uh, and it's going to hurt and it's going to, it's going to, you're going to be in your head and you're going to want to quit the race at some point, no matter who you are and the ability to overcome those things and have support from your crew and all those things. It's so much ultra running is so much a kind of a metaphor for life, in my opinion, and, and and the things that I've been through. And and that's what I think really drives me in my running and really attracts me to ultra running in just general. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been telling people I did everything wrong on Saturday that you could possibly do wrong in an ultra running race. I didn't <laughs> go into it with the right mindset. Then I got there and I was like, I went from running 24 hours and just, you know, encouraging people along the way to thinking, ooh, maybe I could hit 100. Maybe I can hit more than 100. And all of a sudden, my whole mindset changed. And then I got so far behind on calories that with the heat, my stomach just went south and I spent more time in the uh, restaurant. <laughs> And I did on the actual trail. And, you know, after 12 hours of that, I was just like, I'm done. It was reset, refocus, and, and just, you know, call that a really bad experience and bad decisions. So yeah, that happens in the ultra running world. Yeah. So, great training, though. Great training. Yeah. <laughs> great training. Yeah. I just, I, 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 you know, I told my wife, I said, okay, that was a great training run. Uh, <laughs> horrible race, great training run. So, because I, I learned a whole lot again, and you know that was my ultra finish number forty six. So you would think I would, you know, know by now, but you know, I, I guess I still need a lot of learning. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not a five k or ten k kind of thing. Like every every race course is different. Every race is different. You can come back. Uh, like last year, I ran the Virginia Run for Cancer, and I did one hundred and one miles in the mud. Yeah. And, and then came back this year and it was dry and hot. And so it's, uh, every, you know, every course is going to present different, um, you know, obstacles to you. And, and it's just, you, there's no way to really compare. And that's why I think and that's again, why ultra running is so fun because there's really no way to compare a hundred miles here versus a hundred miles somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend that I used to run with in, in the Bighorn mountains of Wyoming when we lived out there. And he used to always tell me that, Ultra running is 99% mental and 90% physical. <laughs> and I know yeah. think all those, those numbers don't add up because, you know, I'm, I'm very into math. And he'd say, that's okay. Concentrate on the mental because you know, anybody can do the physical, but the mental is where it gets hard. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think that's, it's just wild how that can, how your mind can eventually overcome kind of the body. And finally just your mind can tell your body, all right, we're doing this. Let's, let's get it together and let's keep moving. And I think that for me, that it really showed on uh, Sunday morning when we got down to the finish and I had hit the hundred uh, and 101 mile mark. And I still had about less than an hour to go before the 24 hit. And so, you know, let's go for some out and backs. And I was kind of in this battle for second place. And, um, and I just started like pushing myself a little harder, a little harder. And next thing I know, the last out and back, the last one mile out and back, I had run an 815 mile on the last mile of a 105 mile run. That's amazing. That's and so, amazing. And so after, but, after almost 24 hours, Jason goes out and lays down an eight. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, I, I was just amazed by, I looked down at my watch and I just remember like, it felt like it was a four minute mile effort, but I just remember looking down at my watch and uh, seeing, you know, the, the last quarter mile or so that I was down in the seven, you know, seven fifty, seven forty range. And I was like, wow, this is what, 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 what connected there. And so I, I'm really interested to see more out of myself and see what can happen because I think this is only probably my fifth or sixth ultra run that I've completed. And so I'm, I'm really excited about learning and, and continuing to grow in the sport. Awesome. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the next one, just a training run backyard ultra. What's going to be your approach? So this is, uh, this is the key thing for, this is the first time I'm doing a backyard ultra. I've heard a lot of crazy things out of backyards, obviously because of the, the format of doing, you know, the 4.16 mile loops, I guess, for every hour on the hour kind of thing. So I think, I think my approach initially is just going to be to, to try to maintain a pace that keeps me right at that 50 to 55 minute range per lap. And then hopefully be able to hang that, hang on to that for long enough to maybe just get some sleep, a couple here spots here and there at night and continue to do what I, you know, what I can do. But I, I think the, the thing that I've heard the most out of a lot of participants in these styles of races is you can't do these things on your own. You definitely need like the, the group around you that are in, com- in competition with you to drive you yeah. through, through those loops. And so uh, there's some great participants. I think uh, Jason's going to be out. Jason Halifax is going to be out there. I think Steve Spears is going to be out there. Uh, Mike Cap. Mike Caps is going to be out there. Andrew so, McHugh will be out there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of good ultra runners out there from this area. And, uh, you know, they're, they're very accomplished and I, I'm just looking to see where I can fit in and hopefully hang on. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of me. I, I already told Chris, Chris Gary and I talked on Sunday to kind of get my mind reset. And, uh, I just said, you know what, I'm doing 24 yards. All it is to it. And same goal as you 48 to 55 minutes, every single lap, 48 to 55 minutes. And yeah, just keep on doing it. Rinse and repeat. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. So we're, it's going to be exciting to run with you again. And it's going to be exciting to run with a lot of great folks. And I think yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. I, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. It's going to be a really, really fun race. So let's kind of a tradition on uh, living an ultra life. You're sitting down with somebody who's interested in running their first ultra marathon. What are you going to tell them to concentrate on? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the, the best advice that I got was very similar to the advice that you got is, is you're, it's going to, you're going to have highs and lows and, and you, you have to understand the moment you're in may be a low, but it's not necessarily going to be the end of your race. Like if you could just keep, if you can keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep moving and doing, you know, obviously you got to do your nutrition and everything, but if you can keep doing that, eventually you'll find another high, you'll, you'll get back out there and, and keep moving. But I think that's the biggest thing is, is just keep moving forward. And it's just my biggest advice in life is keep moving forward. If you can just keep doing that, then good things are going to happen. And that's just with ultra running and, and life. And I think that's the best advice I can give somebody that's going into their first one. That is awesome. Man, thank you so much for joining me, Jason. And I look forward to uh, listening to this and actually saving it so I can listen to it on some of uh, my long runs and in the middle of the uh, the really bad pain caves. I'm going to pull it out and listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You no, bet. thank you so much for having me. You bet. Well, that'll do it for another episode of Living an Alter Life.